This is Becky Lewis, welcoming you to Episode 7 of the West Virginia Leaders of Literacy Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to get inspiration and information on how to connect remotely with even our youngest learners from Kelsey Blankenship and Claire McCoy. Kelsey and Claire are from Cabell County, and both ladies are lead studio educators in separate preschool settings. Welcome to the West Virginia Leaders of Literacy podcast, where we engage in educational conversations to strengthen early literacy in West Virginia. Are you ready to become a leader of literacy? Hello, everyone. I want to thank you for tuning in today for our special bonus episode that is focused on remote learning. I'm so excited to be welcoming onto the podcast for the first time two amazing ladies, Kelsey Blankenship and Claire McCoy. Kelsey Blankenship is a lead studio educator at the Early Education STEAM Center at Explorer Academy, which is a program of the June Harless Center. She received a Bachelor's of Arts in Elementary Education with a specialization in early childhood and a Master's in Reading Education from Marshall University. After joining the Harless Center as a graduate intern in the fall of 2012, Kelsey worked with the studio coordinator there to assist in compiling, organizing, and completing the process for the National Association for the Education of Young Children Accreditation at Marshall University's Early Education STEAM Center in Huntington, West Virginia. She's participated in two study abroad tours to the world-renowned early childhood programs in Reggio Emilia, Italy. Kelsey has continued to transform her practices in her early childhood classroom based on these influences from these experiences. Claire McCoy is a lead studio educator at the Marshall University Early Education STEAM Center. She received a Bachelor's of Arts in Elementary Education with a specialization in early childhood education as well, and she holds a Master's in School Counseling from Marshall University. After joining the Harless Center as a graduate intern in the fall of 2012, Claire worked alongside the lead teacher and other graduate interns at Marshall University's Early Education STEAM Center in Huntington, West Virginia. In Claire's role as the lead studio educator, she works collaboratively with graduate interns as they complete their graduate degrees. She encourages them to be a part of the classroom, learning and planning for upcoming experiences. This is embedded in her graduate assistant's contributions to the classroom. She also mentors practicum students who are completing their undergraduate work. Thank you, ladies, so much for being here today. Of course. Thanks for having us. Thank you. We're going to talk about the virtual learning that you're doing. So we're going to go back to March 13th um, in West Virginia. That was the day that the governor effectively closed schools on that Monday, March 16th, in response to the novel coronavirus pandemic. And we were told on that Friday that they were essentially closing all the doors as a preventative measure pretty much indefinitely. And I know that both of you work in Cabell County and you had essentially the weekend to prepare with how to engage with your students. So can you tell us what those first few days were like and how you sprang into action? 
Yeah, so hearing those words, school is closed indefinitely, struck a chord with us because we love going to work and learning and planning for experiences with our children. And so knowing that we were not going back was kind of heartbreaking. Um, yeah. And we knew that we would miss, you know, their smiles and laughs and learning and thoughts and everything about being around our children. So when we started thinking about how we can continue to keep our families and the children engaged, we initially thought about our Facebook page and how mm -hmm. we could present families with different like themed days. So <clears throat> we came up with uh, Mindful Monday, Top Title Tuesday, where we'd share a read aloud of some sort, and then Word of the Week Wednesday, and mm -hmm. Think Through Thursday. So we were going to post on our Facebook page about topic or the theme of the day and ask families to participate those different experiences. So that was our initial plan. And as the first week passed by, we found ourselves like talking about how we missed our children and mm -hmm. how you yeah. know, we just we wanted to be around them and see them. And, and so the idea of hosting a call quickly turned into <laughs> a bigger plan of meeting with them every morning and having a crew or a morning meeting style style session with them. Uh -huh. um, we were very anxious <laughs> about what that would look like for four-year-olds because, I mean, well, four-year-olds, 20 of them on the computer, how does that work? What does it, yeah. yeah, what does it look like? So, you know, first they're hard, they're scary and challenging. Like we had no idea what we were doing. So we thought, you know, we've got to just do this. So that's what we did. Um, the first morning was a huge challenge. Um, we look at it and we're, we laugh now about all of the chaos that was ensued during that meeting. However, you know, the children were excited to see one another. Um, we started with a greeting and then we allowed them the opportunity to share. And then we gave them a task for that day. And so then we came back the next day and shared about what they did with their task and their learning and work. And then by Thursday, like the joy <laughs> in our um, delivery delivery and everything, it was just so joyful. We were ecstatic about the progress and the productivity of those meetings. Yeah. So a roller coaster of emotions <laughs> is basically what we went on um, during that weekend. <laughs> Oh, I can't imagine. <laughs> now that we're in week three, essentially, can you tell us what the children can typically expect from you, their teacher? Do they have a routine, a schedule? Are you touching base daily? Yeah. So um, while the routine, you know, it looks different than our typical like eight to two thirty, it was important for us to create some form of like a schedule. Um, that would not only benefit the children, but also our families. Uh, mm -hmm. So as Kelsey mentioned, we meet Monday through Thursday um, at 10 a.m. And uh, the way that we like established that time, Kelsey and I, we both sent out a message to our families, asked them what time worked best for them. Mm -hmm. um, so we offered them a 9 a.m. or a 10 a.m. and just asked, you know, what what works best for you in your schedule? And most of our families said that 10 a.m. was was the most convenient. So in our meeting, we follow a grin protocol. So we offer a greeting, like Kelsey mentioned, some type of reading, 
And then mm -hmm. we have an initiative. So similar to like a task that the children will be able to work toward. And then um, we set up some norms. So what are we gonna be doing when we leave and what will we be doing when we come back? Our calls, they typically last like 30 to 40 minutes. And in the meeting, the children, they can expect just to hear from us, um, but also to be able to converse with their peers and tell us about what type of learning they're doing at home, how they're completing the tasks. Um, but I think just our biggest driving factor to hosting this type of learning was just to give the children that continuity that you know our classroom provides. That's so great. And and just for you guys to be able to see their faces, I'm sure makes it yeah. better, even though it's challenging. Yeah, Absolutely. Definitely. So speaking of challenges, I know you talked a little bit about them, but what has been the most challenging part of trying to reach them? Like you said, four-year-olds on a computer is kind of scary and reaching them virtually. So um, what was the most challenging part? I think the most challenging part, I mean, it was just a learning curve. Mm -hmm. um, like I said before, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. And so we didn't know exactly what the management of a Zoom call <laughs> with four-year-olds looked like or, or felt like even. And so the first day, there was a lot of talking at the same time. The children were very eager to, you know, share with their friends. And at that point, I was just trying to like put my ear to the screen, trying to figure out how I could hear them better. But um, there was lots of feedback. We couldn't hear one another. And so, but by the end of that call, some of the children started like raising their tall, quiet hand like we do in the classroom. And so I was like, oh, why didn't I think of that? So we kind of ran with that protocol per se. And that evening we sent out a memo to our families and kind of gave them some some tips on how we could make the next meeting more productive and more meaningful. We mentioned using the gallery view because some children were having a hard time seeing their friends. And if you do the gallery view, they could see them in a bigger setting. And then we discovered the mute button. <laughs> the mute button is something that is, is beautiful, but as an educator, like it was hard to push. You don't want to push because you know, we want the children to share their ideas and their knowledge and express themselves. And, and, you know, that's what we struggled with, mm -hmm. but the only way for us to make the meeting productive and purposeful was to push that mute button at that point. So the next day we talked to them about how we were going to mute everybody and they were going to raise a tall, quiet hand if they had something to share. And then we would call on them just like we would at school. So we did that for a few days mm -hmm. and now we are happy to report that we no longer have to use the mute button so <laughs> That's great um unless there's like a crying baby or like there's always exceptions to that but the children are doing a great job of remembering our protocol for raising their talk quiet hand and they're you know being respectful of their friends and and listening to what they have to share so all of that to yeah. say, our teacher heart is very happy that we do not have to push the mute yeah. button. <laughs> I think they're learning through this process too. We've mentioned um, that this is kind of becoming their normal and we're learning along with them. Yeah. And I think that's true of teachers everywhere right now are learning right along the side of their kiddos. Yeah. So yeah. Claire, I've been following your Facebook post about <laughs> 
getting prepared for your children while school's out. And one of your posts really resonated <laughs> with me. And it was about the mute button and the video right. conferencing. To paraphrase you, what it was, was video conferencing is unknown and the mute button is scary to press. How do you show empathy and concern through a screen? So I'm wondering now that we're further into this process, how are you able to show empathy and concern through a computer screen? Right. Um, so I think when I initially, you know, posted that, to paraphrase what Kelsey said, as an educator, you don't want to silence your children, you know, <laughs> so pushing that mute button, obviously, like I said, you know, it is scary. Um, yeah. And then outside of just having that, I guess, power to silence on the screen, it also notifies the families. Mm -hmm. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you know, they're seeing that I'm silencing their child. Like, what are they thinking? I think the biggest or the greatest advice that I can give to myself in this new unknown time is just, you know, just to be flexible. I think, you know, that's exactly what all educators are doing right now. Of course, we care for our children and our families can see that, you know, we're all putting in effort to make plans and setting up some kind of meeting to make a meeting style more consistent for our children or our students. Um, and I think our families can see that. Our team, we use the phrase, a prepared possibility as our form of a lesson plan. Mm -hmm. So that kind of gives us a little bit more flexibility into providing more poss more possibilities to flourish. It takes away that like rigid structure. So I think for me, I need to lean more into that flexibility and be able to give myself a little bit of grace, a little bit of movement um, and understand that, you know, things aren't going to go as planned all the time. Um, so take a little bit of the stress off myself and kind of, again, like we said, just learn right alongside the children. Yeah. And like, for example, this just happened this morning when we were on our call, um, when Claire's speaking about flexibility and being less rigid, you know, I had a greeting planned this morning. It was a virtual high five. And then it, it, it quickly evolved into a turkey gobbling, like they turned their hand into a gobble and we gobbled at each other. And then at, by the end of the call, one of my children was like, I just need a hug. And so we did like a virtual hug yeah. and she was like, oh, oh, that could be a, that could be another greeting. Yeah. So, you know, just allowing that flexibility and knowing that, you know, it's going to go the way that the children want it to go, right. you know, and allowing them to kind of take control and ownership of that too. And that's the mindset we have in our classroom. It's just kind of like transitioning that thought, you know, into this new form of teaching. Yeah, <laughs> that is great. And I love the advice about just having grace with yourself. And I think that's what all educators really need to do right now is there are going to be bumps and there's going to be mistakes and just give yourself that grace that you need. Yeah, exactly. So Kelsey, I know that you're obviously dealing with the same concern. Um, so I'm really interested in how you are contacting the families who don't have access to reliable internet or a device. So do you have any experience trying to work through those accessibility issues? Yeah, so initially when we were talking about this, it was a big concern of mine um, that some of my families might not have the means, but I utilize the platforms, you know, 
the, that we typically talk to our families on. And, you know, there was one particular child that every day, 10 minutes before this call, I'd send the link to his mom. And finally, on the third day, he joined. And I was like, I just remember thinking, yes, it worked. My persistence oh. paid off. I've enjoyed seeing all of their faces. And at this point, you know, after we've been in, in this for two weeks, I've been able to see 17 out of my 20 children. That's great. And so the three others I've still been in contact with, their families are just considered essential workers at this point. And so, you know, they don't have their parent at home to, to um, log them on and get them situated. So, but um, our meetings are recorded. And so I've uploaded those to a Google Drive that I've shared with my, my families, the link. Mm -hmm they're able to listen to the recording. So that's been super helpful. Those They're still able to see and hear what we're talking about. They're just not seeing it live. Um, and I have gotten feedback from two of those families that they love watching the videos. And, and so that's an exciting thing to hear as a teacher that, you know, although they're not able to meet live, but they're still able to be a part of our, our learning and conversation. But I think... Another family had asked me about connecting through a phone or if she needed a laptop for her child. And, <laughs> and that's what's great. You can just download it onto your device. So you don't necessarily have to have a laptop. Most people these days or most families these days at least have a phone or a tablet that is accessible. So, right. you know, my initial concerns, I think, are, are obsolete because I, they've found a way um, to make it happen and to be a part of this conversation in this community. So it's been good. That is, that is so great. And I love the idea of recording for those families who are those essential workers and reaching out to them that way. I think that is, is great for the children. Yeah, I do too. Thank you. I, you're welcome. Are there any other challenges besides reaching your students and the mute button that you guys have in, encountered? Um, one of our challenges, I think, goes back to um, transitioning our children into this type of learning environment. So while we've been, you know, us as teachers and parents and children are all adjusting to this new way mm -hmm. of learning and living. But the first, I remember the first day that we got on this call, I had three or four of my children that just did not have any interest in participating. When I'd say their name or ask them a question, they would just like hunker down and get quiet. I mean, they had no interest in talking to me or their friends. Um, but by now, these children are actively participating in conversations. They're sharing about their pictures or their illustrations or even showing us things, you know, around their house. And so I think that we as educators need to remember that this is a transition for them as well. It's not only a transition for us, but they are used to being in our presence and in our classroom. And so face to face. now they're sitting in front right. of a computer screen and they're some strange person named Miss Kelsey is talking to them about, <laughs> you know, they're not just not used to this way of learning. And so, you know, we need to, again, give ourselves some grace and mm -hmm. some flexibility in that, you know, not every child is going to participate every time you call on them, yeah. but to always give them that opportunity to participate. So even my friends that I know probably aren't going to have anything to share, I still make sure that I'm like, 
um, saying their name and asking mm -hmm. them to contribute. And if they don't, that's totally fine. But they're, you know, they're understanding that they're a part of the community and they're not feeling like left yeah. out um, just because they're not wanting to share. Just making sure that the child also like doesn't feel put on the spot. I think with this call, it's like if you are muting or if you're not, when you address a child, it maybe it might create a little bit of anxiety. So I know that I have a particular child that I even had to explain like to mom and say, you know, it's okay if he's not wanting to share about the specific task. Is there anything that he did yesterday afternoon that he'd like to share? And he ended up building with his Legos from his room, you know? And so that channeled in some more conversation from the other children and they were talking about Legos that they had. So just kind of creating that like open-ended conversation and mm -hmm. how it can flow and making this a comfortable environment right. rather than this unknown, scary, why are we doing this feeling, you yeah. know? And I had another child that, you know, mom was like, how can I get him to participate? Right. I was like, just before you get on, have him grab something that he wants to share with his friends. And right. then, you know, we'll slowly transition him into sharing about other things that, you know, but right now I just want him to participate mm -hmm. and that's what she wants too. So this morning he grabbed a Thomas and he came and was showing us Thomas, yeah. you know, so just anything to get them all involved. That's so. such a great idea. And just thinking about this, you guys had to transition these little ones to the idea of school and you worked all year establishing that <laughs> and what that looks like yeah. and then now you've changed it up on them yeah, yeah. so it's like starting over again but you're learning at the same time it yeah. absolutely is we actually said that it's like we're first year teachers again yeah you know you get into your groove of teaching and like what you feel like you do really well and then life throws you a curveball and it's like okay well what do you, I do? you hit the ground running and you you just go yeah just do it I'm pretty sure that all teachers are feeling like they're first year teachers no matter if it is their first year or if it's their 20th year they're they're feeling that way too yeah I agree yeah have you guys received any feedback from families yeah um well I think you know we can both speak to this just in a little different ways. I, I guess my feedback kind of touches on the Facebook post again, like you had mentioned, obviously that was weighing on my heart. You know, I felt like I, I needed to reach out to my families and just let them know like how I was feeling, where I was and like this unknown area, this unknown feeling. You know, I knew whenever I posted that nine times out of 10, I was probably going to receive some kind of positive feedback. Like we really appreciate mm -hmm. what you're doing. You know, the children love seeing you that type of positive feedback. And so obviously like that's a boost of confidence and it's always nice to have a, like a pat on the back. But while those were very much appreciated, I think what I appreciated more was like the feed forward. So mm -hmm. Kelsey mentioned, you know, the first time that we, we did this um, the, the very first Monday, you know, it was, that was the first time we had done anything like that. Um, and then to touch on that with meeting with 20 preschoolers, it yeah. can be very challenging <laughs> and <laughs> lead to a little bit of anxiety. You know, we joke now that like that Monday was just a day of basic troubleshooting. 
I had like connection issues. There were, after I had logged on, I had family members texting me, you know, the, the link isn't working. What do I do? Um, I, we had families that were coming in at different times. So like, you know, I would greet some children and then another child would come on. And I, I felt like I was just saying the same thing. I was just like on a merry-go-round, you know, Oh, hi, how are you doing? And then I'd say the same thing again. I, I, for lack of better words, I really felt like I, I looked very awkward and I felt very awkward. And I, I guess I just didn't feel like my face was rendering the excitement that I felt seeing everybody on that very first call. And then I later had some families after that very first experience, you know, they reached out to me and they said that it was overwhelming or um, that their child, you know, cried after the meeting, whether it was because of the overwhelming phase of it, or it was because they were leaving their friends. And so I guess that kind of like resonated with me because I was like, while that wasn't really a direct reflection on me as a teacher, it was still about something that I had planned. So I knew like, okay, well, I've got to make sure that this, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I have a different style of presentation. presentation. Yeah. Um, to give to the children so that not only do my children feel prepared, but my, my families also feel that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, like the positive feedback, like, you know, this is awesome that that hit home with me and it made me feel really well. But like the that feed forward, just kind of like a few comments that kind of set the tone, I guess, for me a little bit more on how I can better help and assist my children and families. Yeah. How about you, Kelsey? Have you got any um, feedback from any families? I've gotten a lot of positive feedback um, that the children are really engaged. They're really enjoying being and seeing one another. I even have like this one little boy that is always making a joke or trying to make everyone giggle on the call. And so, you know, families are commenting about that. But I mean, it kind of takes me back again to, you know, not only we're getting feedback from our families, um, which is very positive, but we're also getting feedback from the children too, like Mm -hmm. we had mentioned before, you know, wanting to participate versus not wanting to and, and how we can, you know, build that community, um, even if it's a virtual community. Yeah. That's so great. As a teacher or teachers, um, if there's a lesson to be learned from this unprecedented time, what is it? (laughs) <laughs> There's lots of lessons to be learned, but um, to narrow it down, um, just thinking about the time that we're in and, yeah. you know, how we as adults feel, we're not sure about what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. It's definitely a first for all of Everyone. us. And yeah. so we're learning as we go, but thinking about the children and how they feel in this unknown, you know, if we're feeling one way and they're n- not able to really comprehend or understand like what exactly is happening. Why aren't we in school? I just want to go see my friends. Um, I think as teachers, like we need to be role models of learning and perseverance. And I think by them seeing us adjusting to a new way of learning and, you know, just kind of, yeah, yeah. And just doing it, we're being just that for them. Mm -hmm. We're being those role models that they need and, and persevering through a (laughs) tough time. So you know, just because we can't be in our classroom doesn't mean we can't learn, you know, providing children with 
a sense of normal rhythm, we know is very important, especially during this time of, you know, uncertainty and the unknown. So, you know, rhythms and routines are, are crucial and they help to instill like a sense of safety and trust. And so I think that while we're meeting in these calls, we are trying to build and allow them to feel safe and and trusted and respected and valued. So, you know, our conversations kind of mirror what we believe and our values. Um, And so I think, you know, our task for the day and the conversations kind of allude to just give yourself grace and be a good role model for the children. Mm -hmm. So So I'm going to wrap up here and ask you one final question. What advice can you give other teachers out there that might be hesitant about reaching out to their students virtually or just simply don't know where to start? I think throughout this entire process, we've kind of highlighted on the fact that we just kind of stepped into this unknown. I think the best advice that we can give anyone is just to get out there and do it. There were plenty of times that I think we probably could have just said, no or changed our thought process done something a little bit differently but you know then we wouldn't have this experience to speak to the past call with our friends it looked completely different from the first monday Um, kelsey and i were actually just reviewing both of our most recent call today and you know kelsey even said that this past call she had the most participants on and she actually spoke to somebody that she hasn't seen or hasn't been present on a call before so you know it's getting out there that the children are wanting to participate and families are wanting them to be involved and you know i just think that that speaks to the fact that like we worked through the unknown and we pressed start every morning and showed up for links to all the resources discussed in this episode and for more information please visit our website at wbde.us forward slash leaders of literacy and click on the show notes for this episode. Want to learn more about being a leader of literacy? Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single installment. In the next episode, we will be joined by Pooja Patel. Pooja is a learning specialist that has not only taught SRSD for writing daily in her classroom for nearly 15 years, but also trains other educators on the SRSD approach. She will be sharing her knowledge and experience with us as we continue our discussion on self-talk. It's sure to be a great episode. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening.